Hello, Paul Janka here with Peter McSweeney. We are back to audio format for a bit. I figure it's, uh, I don't know, there's something more intimate about it also. And uh, we haven't connected for a little while, so maybe we have our, our, you know, what's interesting is when we were doing this on a slightly more regular schedule and seen a lot, we were talking a lot more, our brains were melded a bit more. Now we've we're, been we're mel melded. Like we were, I felt. Siamese twins. Yeah, there was more in sync and I haven't seen you we're both pursuing we both have quite a bit on right now and we're pursuing stuff and um so i'm like so a stranger our, a little bit more so our brains are a little bit more distant which might make for a more interesting potentially more interesting conversation because our perspectives are probably slightly diverged it's just natural when you spend a lot of time with someone so i'll, I'll argue with you then on every point just to yeah you can do that, that. just there so um <laughs> thank you it, it probably feels a little artificial but let, let me throw out because we do have need something to talk about <clears throat> the um this guy called the twinkie king and um the the thesis for part of this episode is twinkie, king. twinkie. in the gay community a twinkie is a certain type of guy i think or it's a certain sexual act so but this is not this is the uh this is the children's I'll have to uh, google that children's suite the american twinkie which is a a yellow golden cake with a cream inside. It used to be, before they became artificial and mass produced, it used to be handmade with banana cream. It was a, some, I think some guy in New York or Chicago invented this as a, as a, he had a, actually the story is, I, I don't know the exact details, I forget the specific, but I think it was Chicago in like the 20s. And a chef at a hotel restaurant had a leftover pan and he had some batter. And so he made these, these cakes, these golden cakes and filled them with uh, banana cream. And hence the Twinkie was born. And then the idea was picked up and mass produced. And it became a phenomenon in America. Do you believe any of these backstories? Yeah, yeah. I always hear these crappy backstories about oh, this cocktail was founded by Ernest Hemingway when he was about to write yeah, I think and shoot it. himself. And he decided not to kill himself and waited 10 years and that kind well, of thing. Yeah, funny enough, I was reading about Craig Ferguson yesterday and he was offered a drink before jumping off a tower bridge and then decided, yeah. you know that story? I sent, I sent you the video. Yeah, I know you did. Oh, I haven't watched that part, but I was reading. He does a really, fun, just to put that in context, Craig Ferguson, the, the well, the former late night chat show. When I say former, he's alive still, um, but he's just not doing it anymore. He's got this great monologue and everyone should watch it. It's brilliant because he talks about something very heartfelt but he's also incredibly funny. If you just type in Craig Ferguson, alcoholism or something, and he talks, he does this monologue where he starts off, you know, with an earnest point, but he basically talks, I won't ruin it, but he talks about how he he was going to kill himself because he was an alcoholic and he was depressed. And then some guy offered him a drink and then he ended up getting pissed and he forgot to kill himself. Funny. And he said that, you know, in a very, very perverse way on that day, it actually saved my life. But then he's been clean for like, 17 18 years it's very funny it's a great from a from a from just a, a public speaking point of view it really shows how you can be very vulnerable and sincere and hilarious at the same time i think he's a master at that you know i the reason i was looking at that is when i was looking at uh, one of our uh, the, our sasha episode was up on youtube and i was looking at a bit of it and then i on the sidebar it has all the suggested and there was one of craig ferguson flirting like a comp and i looked at it and it was like one hot girl after another he was such a flirt and i just wondered He's married, you know. Yeah. Like, it's amazing that he got, I mean, it is TV and all that, but he got so amped up with these girls and then just walked away and went home to his wife. Like, we were talking all... about that. I was talking about that with um, a friend of mine. Um, um, Why do you think he was, I mean, he was very, he's very chatty. You know, very she said chat. to me this, yeah, I went to him because she was saying she watched She went, oh, she goes, he's a right one. And I went, but he's married and stuff. And I was, and, and she goes, yeah, she goes, but at that age and in a relationship, 
he's basically taking the mick out of me because she was saying you're quite new to relationships so mm -hmm. she goes you don't realize that when um it gets through certain years more important things happen. I said, well, I'm aware of that. I've seen it in other people. Mm -hmm. I've observed it in mm -hmm. the other animals in the zoo. Mm -hmm. But um, she was saying that his wife probably knows him on an intimate level. He would get their, their humour. She knows all these little quirks. She knows his insecurities, his madness, mm -hmm. his addict traits, all those things. Whereas these girls, they just rock up. It's all a bit showy. He sort of jousts with them. But then he probably holds in higher regard. Maybe that's just bullshit she's telling me. No, herself. I think that's all. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's my experience. I mean, what when in a good relationship in my merit my wife I mean, it's so comforting. It actually uh provides so much more than just you know, the girls, you can still appreciate how sexy the girls are and stuff. But I, I can see how he can do that and then remove himself from that and go home to his wife. Also, I think that I was saying to um to him, my friend that um that she that that um, what was I going to say? I can't remember what I was saying. Yeah, you know, I was saying that um, he probably enjoys um, flexing that muscle. Oh, and for yeah, him yeah. at his age, his probably libido is not ridiculously high anymore. For him, it's probably just to feel that he's got that, the attention. It's nice. Yeah, yeah that he's got the chat, the banter. He's a stand-up mm -hmm. comedian. You know, he's probably part of his identity for many years. So he just probably likes flexing the muscle, flirting with a beautiful younger girl. And it it looked like that's all the show is, though. Yeah, it's I mean, just a lot like of people a, complain, but I like it. No, it's fun, and he made a he made a, a show of it. But I just saw, and I'm as much as the next guy can watch that. But I just thought, God, he he really he's clearly a smart guy. But he, he it doesn't sound like there was anything serious discussed on. The Have show. you seen the one with Eve? Ellis was saying to me about um, the one with Eve. What's her name? The blonde actress. She's gorgeous. Ah, uh, Alice Eve. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's, yeah. I mean, she's stunning, smart English girl, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. A little bit like, like Rachel Riley, a little bit too good to be true. It's been like, I went to Oxford, but, you know, I look like a supermodel. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're talking about, like, philosophy, and he's very sharp, and they get to the point where she goes, and he just throws her with a few. He talks about Calvinism, and then he, goes, he just says a couple of things off the cuff, and he talks about, and he even goes quite meta, and he mentions some philosophical arguments about free choice, and then... And she's like, oh, and you can see he's making a really good example of how he's talking about something that could be super nerdy or academic. He's doing it in such a flirtatious way. Oh, uh, yeah, I think then, I've seen that. I've seen yeah. that. And she and leans then... over to have the bell because they play this game with the bell. Mm -hmm. And she leans over. He's got a low cut top on. And she's got big breasts. And he, uh, she leans over and he just looks. And he does it perfectly. Any other guy that age could, like, fail on this. He goes, listen, he goes, you're going to, if you want the bell. Just ask me for it. Don't lean over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've seen that bit. He, he's very good. But I mean, some people don't like it because they feel it's not a substantial interview. I think because it's so quick, you get little glimpses. Well, I guess of... that's not the point of the show, though, right? If you want substantial interview, you can go to Charlie Rose or something else, I, I guess. Um, anyhow, so... Does back... Charlie Rose have a flirt? No, I mean, I would say most all his guests are men, first of all, primarily. He usually gets, like, quite notable people and government i mean there are some female guests but no way and he's so old too i mean he doesn't he's totally different perso personality than craig ferguson um so this thing with the twinkie king i just um here's the here's the log line for the show people who chase success for its own sake versus following a passion and succeeding as a byproduct just to quickly tell you the story twinkie was a very uh, esteemed brand I think Hostess owned it for a long time, and it was like something that every American knew, like Coca-Cola or Wrigley's gum. 
and they had all these um they had all these manufacturing plants and employees and stuff and so they pumped out these these golden um cream filled uh sweets and kids grew up on them whatever but because of globalization and other stuff all these factories became unprofitable and dog I don't know exactly, but basically the company ended up and it had a huge pension liabilities. It, it stumbled a lot and was bought and sold between different conglomerates and financial firms. And a few years ago, it went bankrupt. Basically, oh, really? it couldn't, uh, it couldn't, its costs and its debt overwhelmed it and it had to dissolve. And part of the process that happens in, in corporations when they dissolve is that the equity has gone and the debt holders, um, they get they there's a there's a auction of all the assets and the debt holders whatever proceeds are made they sell off the factories the brand the cars the trucks whatever is left then is distributed based on a seniority schedule to the debt holders anyhow this company went was wasn't worth anything however the brand was still well known people have known twinkie and the there was a there was a demand for these cakes people still liked them but the so basically, uh, a, a private equity guy teamed up with a with a, this. By the way, this Greek guy who's made tons of money. His two younger, his two sons, uh, reinvigorated Pabst Blue Ribbon, which was and Molson's I think, which are beers, and they've made a ton of money. And they bought the Playboy Mansion. His mm. sons have bought the Playboy. They Mansion. own it. Yeah, Hugh Hefner doesn't own. Yeah, and he lived there still. No, they they like moved in or something. They kicked him out. Yeah, they bought it for some huge price. The, they're the sons of this guy. This guy is an amazing guy. I forget. I can't. I haven't done a lot of this. Was, this 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 idea for this show is old, so I don't have all the details in front of me. But um, he's a Greek guy, and he came over here sixty years ago from Greece, and he made a name for himself in food products. And then he's basically revitalized very famous American brands like Bumblebee Tuna, Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer, stuffed food. And what he said, and actually Warren Buffett says this too. I think it's so genius. He said. Food is the only thing that where people are very personal about it. Like if you mm. if you eat a certain packaged good and you know exactly what it tastes like and you like it, you're really loyal to it. So Coca Cola test. Coca Cola. Yeah. Do you remember or what Heinz. they said yeah. when they um Coca? I, I don't. People sometimes try to say that this was a strategy. I don't know if it was, but when they had the Pepsi Coke like battle, oh, yeah, yeah. Coke actually lost out. I think on a taste challenge, it lost out because Pepsi is sweeter. So over a one sip, I've people were. But anyway, what happened was they changed the formula and they said there was a public outcry. Oh, new Coke. Yeah. yeah. It was an outcry. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was a scam. And old ladies were ringing up going, you stole my childhood. Yeah. And he goes, the CEO said inadvertently, then when they brought it back by public demand, it just went Poof. And it's because people felt, it's why on death row, often people when they have their last meal and they can have anything, they choose like a McDonald's and Coca-Cola is the number one thing that people choose mm. because it's got that nostalgic action. Yeah, yeah. And often McDonald's is pretty high up there. So people have what this Greek guy said is people have a unique relationship with food products. Mm. Unlike a car or a piece of gadgetry, right? It's normally childhood. It's anchored to a, to a happier yeah, you put it time. In your body. It's very intimate, right? You, you, you put it in your mouth and it has a unique flavor profile that's different than something yeah. that's slightly. So he realized this, this Greek guy, and he, he made a huge fortune in the food business basically taking brands that were beaten up and like revitalizing new packaging, new distribution. Anyhow, he's, and he's made millions of billions, this guy. Especially if they go away because people go, oh, I miss yeah, and then Twinkies. You bring it back. Yeah. And then it comes back again. I can see how that really works. So just quickly with such an incredible, there's, um, there's a great article I can send you 
um, I think it was in Forbes or something where they, I read about this. It's such an interesting business story. But he bought Twinkies. So yeah. he went in, he paired up with this Wall Street finance, this private equity guy, this Indian guy. And they went into this auction where the company was being sold off in parts. And they only bought a few things. They bought the, the brand name Twinkie. I think they bought the recipe and they bought the roots or something for distribution, something like that. And they changed the recipe, actually. They made it because before it was like a cake and it could go stale in two weeks. They changed it and added more chemicals. So now it can last like six weeks or two months, mm. and that, which means it's so interesting. We never think about this as consumers, but now you can warehouse it in a central location for a month and you don't have to get it to the store right away. Um, what do you, what? I was going to say, have you got a pen there? That's cool. Don't worry. So I'm, um, not, I'm not texting. I'm making a note on something you said. I didn't okay. want to cut no, over okay. you. Okay. I didn't want to cut. This I is podcast well, verite. If you need a pen, you need a pen. Yeah. So, but um, <laughs> the what's amazing about that is by changing the chemical composition, it has a much longer shelf life, and it actually changes the distribution because the trucks. One of the reasons this company went bankrupt is that the routes that they used for the trucks were so inefficient that they were spending like every dollar of revenue, thirty cents, was going to their drivers and their trucks. Something. So he. He changed all that and made it the ability where you could you only had to deliver it, you know, one third as often because it would. Sit. So they did these changes and they put and they they the, the the finance guy gave him money and they put in state of the art um, factories, you know, that could bake these things in a millisecond and all that. And they relaunched Twinkie with a huge thing. They did college campus. Um, they went around and did college campus Twinkie blasts and advertise and the thing. The things flew off the shelf when he reintroduced it because there had been like a six month or year gap. You almost want to elongate that gap, don't yeah. you? And get like a silent campaign going, bring back Twinkies. That's an idea. So they flew off the shelf and he basically, I don't know, I can't remember the numbers, but they may have spent like 500 million to do this and they sold the company for like 2 billion. So they each made, this guy made like a billion dollars. Who did they sell it to? A huge, like a, not a Nestle, but an equivalent. I think like, um, in, What's the name? Industries. There's a bunch of companies that are in the U.S. that own brands like mm. Yum Foods owns Taco Bell. Those kind of companies. And is it still running? Twinkies? Yeah, 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 yeah. Successful. So they they basically took it from nothing up to the first, and then a lot much larger company said, "Oh, we can put this in our brand portfolio," and bought it. Mm. And in the process, this Greek guy made another billion dollars. I mean, it it's just crazy how much money these guys make. And so. What, that's interesting, the story behind it. But what I thought was particularly interesting is there's a picture of the Indian finance guy who works in New York for one of the big P, uh, private equity firms. And there's a picture of him in a boardroom in a really nice like $5,000 suit and like re looking really sharp. And there's a plate of Twinkies, which are low class food. It's like, you know, wealthy people don't eat Twinkies generally. I mean, it's, it's a kind of a low, um, lower class food. And there, there's a plate of Twinkies and donuts, like Hostess products, and he's making a motion like he's gonna eat one. Mm -hmm. But he's, his hand is about a foot away from it. And I'm thinking there's no way in hell that guy would put that in his body. He's the kind of guy who eats like $100 sushi for lunch or like, you know, quinoa and as a personal chef. He's not going to put chemical. He knows what's in these. And I just thought, is there anything wrong with peddling a brand that you would never yourself touch? It's like cigarette companies or booze companies or arms dealers. Basically making, this is the big question of the episode, is there a moral issue with with building a business and selling stuff that you yourself wouldn't ingest because it's unhealthy or whatever, but you're happy to 
pawn it, pedal it to the masses. <laughs> God, yeah, you got, you got that. Right? You're going to deliver a line. Go ahead. What? Well, pretty much every pharmaceutical company would be out of business then. Yeah, but I think no, some, joking, of, some of those have good, you know, they believe in the in the, in the cause. Yeah, but I'm not going to say, you know, the guy creating the creating the thing for, you know, diabetes isn't going to go and eat like donuts for 10 years to get diabetes. To, right, but you know uh, what I mean. I don't right? mean, do you know what, in short term, about me trying to be a wise ass, mm. I'm not quite hitting it there. Yeah. Um, you prefaced it, so that's why yeah, I didn't yeah. look I'll out. take the wind out of yourself. Just no. tell me what you think. So I think that for a founder, it's important for someone to get something off the ground. They have to be passionate about it. But I think often when a, a, a company goes through like a second generation or a rebirth, or they have to scale it up from, you know, a mom and dad's pop business. Yeah. Um, mom and, why did I say pop and what you guys call it? I see mom and pop. Mom and pop. Mom and pop, pop yeah. business. Yeah, see, I mix mom and dad. Yeah. Uh, Anglo-American. Um, then you have to take it forward. You probably need someone with a more objective or subjective. But, um, that's actually, I, I, I think that's interesting. So you're saying, just to understand you, the first iteration, when you first have the idea, like I said, it, the idea of this Twinkie came out of a, a, a chef who made cakes with banana yeah. cream. Someone loves them and is passionate about them and brings them to market. After many years, if the brand is, if you need a businessman to revitalize, that businessman yeah. probably operates too clinic, emotionally clinically. He's clinical and the other guy is emotionally connected too much. Mm. They're like, no, but we always did it this way and it's my grandma's recipe. It happens with whiskey brands. They were talking about, and that's why you often see that big brands, like I think I was looking at, I was watching a documentary a while ago about bourbon, and it was so interesting because it was talking about the history of it and with the American, you know, the whiskey taxes and yeah. the whole deep south. And it's called that how the best is done. And if it's even if you don't drink, you know, it's quite interesting to watch it. And they were talking about how the recipes for the bourbons changed and things like um, Maker's Mark became worldwide because, like, the grandson changed the original, original recipe. He went, this ain't working. Where what, the family out of it, or what? um, it just wasn't tasting right, it wasn't right for the market. He wanted to make something sweeter, and he, his wife was baking bread with rye and wheat. And he kept tasting the different whether she had 65% rye and mm -hmm. you know, 35% wheat and stuff. He went, mm, that's the right one. And he used those recipes then for the with, with the, the proportion, yeah. yeah. To, but the point is, he took like a you know, his grandfather's you know, secret recipe, and when this ain't working for the modern day palette and changed it. And I think often you see that. You see that with restaurant brands. They take, you know, and often people sell out to stuff. But I think the founders, to get it off the ground, they need to be knocking on people's doors. They need to be super passionate about it. It's almost like it's that shop on the corner of the high street that everyone loves. It has the homemade baked mm. cookies. But they maybe haven't even got the ambition to scale it up. But they certainly don't have the, the, the operational know-how. I think sometimes you need a pragmatic, attached brain to come in. It's very, that's, typical, it, that's typical of corporate world, yeah, though, isn't and it? And I guess it's satisfying for this guy to just make something work when it was not working all of a yeah. sudden. And to see a business running like clockwork and making profits is satisfying. Whether or I'm not sure he the likes one billion, the, I'm sure the one billion is satisfying helps. as well. But sure that whether or not he likes the, the, the sweets is almost irrelevant. Yeah, it's kind of irrelevant that. It's more about... The company. I mean, you know, but I just to took. Like... A, I mean, I, 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 I can understand several perspectives. I, I, I admire the guy's business, and I certainly think it's amazing that he made that much money. There was another side of me though that thought, at the end of the day, he's just pumping sugar into an obese, diabetic population already. Mm. Like, why is there anything stopping him? The question, like, why even do this in the first place? So the question isn't whether he eats them or not. The question is, 
Is he improving is he, society? Is he improving society? Um, again, I, yeah, where is morale? I mean, to even enlarge this, is there? What's the moral dimension to business? I mean, you, you're, you're you're American. I'm not, but I mean, I always want to say in corporate America, I don't think that the the people are asking those questions. I don't think people are going. Is this morally correct? They're thinking, oh. Are we going to get wrapped for this? Are we? Is our share price going to drop because we're going to get a bad reputation? Are the FSC well, you going Britain, to... I, you think Britain's a little bit more humane? Um, I think we're not as driven by aggressive capital, capital, capitalism as much in, in historically. Europe, we, we, we were driven by aggressive colonization. So that's another... That can be seen as another moral thing. But I think we haven't got that kind of... Because that you're, what you're talking about, these brands, they were all this birth of the American dream, wasn't it? It was all these... You know, well, you were going to talk about Ray Kroc. Well, right? I was going to say, yeah, there's many of them. There's a great, there's that documentary, I think I mentioned it on our first few episodes, about um, about the history of America, the, um, what's it called? The Men That Build America. Yeah, you it's were watching big, yeah, that. We talked it's about great. It. You should watch it, actually. It's a four-part that History Channel did. Very, very, very high-end doc. And it's about um, Carnaby, uh, uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, yeah. J.P. Morgan, J- Carnegie, Vanderbilt, and Rockefeller. And Rockefeller, those four, yeah. And what at the end of it, there's a lovely montage where they say, because what these four guys, you know, aggressively built, you know, the coal, the the, the oil, electric, steel, and railways, al- and railways allowed for all these other entrepreneurs to come about. They do it a bit cheesy to say they're like. So when Max Factor decided that makeup didn't just have to be for prostitutes and actually could be mainstream, <laughs> I didn't know. Um, he started doing makeup shows when a guy, when so Mr. Harley and Mr. Davidson decided to put an engine on a bike, Harley Davidson was born and they just go through all these. So it's a very romantic age, I think, of the, you know, American dream and stuff. So I think maybe that cultural callback, possibly mm-hmm. to someone that's a patriotic American, they probably don't look at the sugar content in, a, in a, an obese society. They probably think, we are connecting to the founding aspects of the American dream in the 20th century. There's probably a, a there's a there's a cultural callback. They're there. celebrating big business. They're yeah. celebrating, you know, capitalism, which is maybe mm. they believe has taken millions of people out of poverty. They're thinking about all the jobs they're going to create. That's another. Uh, yeah. I don't. I think what happens is people focus on. And what I was going to talk about, what I made a note of, because I didn't want to cut you off when yeah. you're in the middle of, was that Ray. I watched a founder recently. Now I'm going to do a bit of a spoiler just because it's his biopic. So it's just about his life. It's a guy who took McDonald's from, I loved it by the way, Michael Keaton plays him and Ray Kroc. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Ray Kroc. Yeah. Yeah, Ray Kroc. And he takes McDonald's and it's just a great film. Anyone who's interested in business and psychology and operations, mm. you and also the conflict between the two McDonald's brothers who were idyllic. They wanted to make the best quality burgers. Although they did have some good business acumen at the beginning because they streamlined it. They said they took Henry Ford's um, um, mm. um, um, production line. Is that the word? Yeah, yeah. And they did that with the burgers. They made sure there was consistency. But they wanted to make the best burgers and they wanted to make it quick, but they wanted quality. So there's a great moment in it where Ray Crocs sees that the milkshakes are losing all the franchises' money because they're having to store huge amounts of ice cream. It's going off. Mm. You never know how much to get. The cost of the ice cream is really high. And then he finds out you can get powdered milkshake. And he tastes it and goes, this is amazing. This is almost as good as the real thing. Mm. And it's powder. It's a fraction of the cost. There'll be no wastage. We won't have to have those 
trolley, those big vans, you know, transporting the special ice cream across state. Mm. And the two brothers reject it, and they're the only one because they still own one of the restaurants before they sell out. They're the only one that didn't have um, the powdered ice cream. Oh, yeah. And all the franchi- franchisees loved it because they were like, this is just because a lot of the franchisees were not really, they weren't making enough just, money. Ah. Yeah, and they were just like, this is a game changer. So that's a perfect example of. But Ray Crocs really believed in McDonald's, a brand. There's a great moment in it when he says, after he, after they, because he ends up buying them out completely, but he's a little bit unscrupulous the way he does it. He's quite aggressive, and which is all very true to what happened in life. Um, he says to them, they go, you know, you saw our operations. We took you back when we first met you. Um, you saw what we did. Why didn't, why didn't you just steal the idea? You know, our, our way, we, can't, we haven't patterned how we, you know, yeah. Our operations. And he went, nah, he goes, I believe in it. McDonald's. It's a name. He goes, what are you going to call it? Crocs Burgers? Nah, it sounds horrible. Yeah. McDonald's. Wholesome. It's family. It's American. And he talks about it. Mom and dad. That's good. I Sunday wanna... afternoons. It's hanging out. And he loved the fact that he felt that at that time, drive throughs were all a little bit youth orientated. So when I say youth culture, like teens and mob, mob, mob what's the word? Mob, um, mods and bikers. Mod, uh, what's the word? Yeah, mods, like, mods, like you know, it was a little bit aggressive. It was all like you know, people tr- looking like aggressive versions of John John Travolta in Greece, and mm. you know that kind of thing, and, and people hanging out. And it was drive through culture, and he loved McDonald's because he said it was just family. It was clean. There was no you know cocky you know eighteen year old guys trying to show off a woman in a car and fighting and punch ups. Mm. It was tidy. It was clean. It was family. And for him, so he believed in the brand. So I think he's a man that did both. He passionately mm. believed in McDonald's. But and he, that, there were economic. I mean, part of it is competitive pressure. If the other hamburger companies are using the powder and you're not, you're going to go out of business unless you follow. Yeah, and he so. was also because he was scaling it as well as a franchise model. But he was also he was just so passionate about what it meant McDonald's. When you ask him, like when people used to ask him in interviews, well, it's not healthy. He was like, no, it's treats, it's family, it's he. For him, he saw it as a. Yeah, I think he believed it that it was a vehicle for families to come together and have a treat and mm. you know oh, sit out was. in the sun. And I mean, it's why as a kid I still remember. They, when it. you grew up, were there McDonald's in yeah. the U- in the UK? Yeah, everywhere. Well, actually, what I'm older than you, but when I was born, it'd be interesting to fact check this. But when I was born, I think McDonald's was not even international. Well, they went through two. Huge aggressive expansions. They went through the one that Ray started. I'll talk about him like I know him. Yeah, good old Ray. Ray. Old Ray. Um, um, that he that he started, and then he got to the point where he went into a room one day. I remember reading, and he said, "I want you know to be ten thousand McDonald's." And the guys looked at him, and I think, and then afterwards he kept walked out, and he said, "This will never be." But he then died, and then. There was another global mass. Well, it was glo- it gone global when he was alive. But then when he stepped down after he died, I think there was another big jump. He stepped down after he died? Yeah, he stepped down after he died. Wow. Just before. He was going to do it before, but he said <laughs> after. He thought he'd be better. Um, you know, he stepped down, then he died. Um, so he, he had a time where he was out of the business. I think he Before he died. Yeah, before he died. Um, he decided not to die. That there was point. a croc that was alive, but yeah, not the yeah, chairman. Yeah, not the chairman. Yeah, he decided, decided on against, you know, before he left um so uh, yeah so it's just interesting what i'm trying to say is there was another there was all i'm saying is that there's another group of people that came in and went cheers ray 
Yeah. We'll take it. But what's great about the film and great for anyone is he was basically just a bit of a successful salesman. And how he found out about McDonald's was he was peddling milkshake machines. This is the irony. So there was these <laughs> machines that could make six milkshakes at once. And they were like a, just like a union of milkshake machines. I've seen them yeah. Well, they were an around thing. And he was selling them or renting them to restaurants. And then he got a call. I think he was in like Chicago. And he got a call going, hey, it's McDonald's brothers. Yeah, we want, we don't want six, we want eight. And he's like, no, what? No, he's got eight milkshakes on it. He goes, no, we want eight machines. Wow. And he was like, really? And he decided to drive across. He actually drove across America to meet them because he went pretending that he was in the area. So he went, I need to see who these guys are. He said there was just something about the way they spoke. And he said he went in and he said it was just beautiful. Because at the time, um, drive throughs um, takeaway food was a model where you sat in your car, someone brought you a tray. It looks quite cool, actually. They, 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 you can they, still go to this place in LA. And they, they put like a clamp on your car. Skates, yeah. yeah, and they serve you and you wait half an hour and he said, then your order's never completely right. Where he went to McDonald's and he ordered a burger and the guy went, there you go. And he went, yeah. that was 30 seconds. He went, yeah, no. And he goes, well, where am I supposed to eat it? He went, in your car, back here, back home, it's up to you. And he said he just saw it and was just like, this is brilliant. But you can see when he talks about it, if you Google the real guy, he goes, well, I saw McDonald's. I had to have that. I thought, I'll have that. Shakes, fries, burgers, brilliant. And he just knew it. I and like this. And I so, like Michael Keaton. And he never, well, no, I'm talking about the real Ray. No, I know. But, but I then Michael the Keaton plays it because he gets that kind of wildness about it. He's like, yeah. Um, but you can see he's a guy that they were all laughing at. Like his mates, he had lots of rich friends. They were all like, oh, Ray's got another thing. Oh, another milkshake machine, is it? And then he's like, no, you've got to get in, on, get, get in on the ground level on this. And they were like, ah, you know, you're, you're crazy, mate. It's just a burger bar. And obviously he became. And sadly, like most people, his wife he was with all the time when he wasn't successful or as successful, he ended up leaving and you know, getting with a slightly younger, blonder white woman. What's crazy, just that to, seems switch, to be, yeah. switch gears that on pattern. that topic. Is, anyway, um... so that's my so relation to that. So I think there's a, Maybe he's meeting in the middle. That was what I was saying. He was passionate, but also he was corporate. I don't really know if I have anything more to say about that. But no, just, just observing it, what... It was interesting to hear about. I Just thinking about trading down for a, a younger, hotter wife when you have money. <laughs> I mean, I just... How does a guy sell that to himself? It's kind of schneidy, isn't it? It's because like the woman, <laughs> when you were struggling, supported you all that, packed your lunch, did all that. And as soon as you... Probably, some built, guys, probably built your character. Yeah. I Let's guess some honest, guys she probably buy built his off character. their wife. They're like, listen, now I have 10 million. She'll get half in a divorce. And that, that's how they, they justify it to themselves. She won too, right? She, she shared in my success. But I just think like, I mean, my God, she's so proven herself. And now you're successful and you go. I, but I guess what it. happens is over 30 years, 40 years in relationships, things um you know drop and you maybe become more of a friendship and it's not passionate or whatever and then most guys don't have the option to you know take another mm. you want to be crude upgrade they just don't have that option but then when you become super successful and you're suddenly introduced to many different people and your status is higher and maybe your ambition levels are higher your entitlement's higher i'm sorry I'm the oh one. paul's phone's gone off you've got to buy everyone a drink on set now so is that how it works? So that's a rude in the movie business. business. Your phone goes off. You got buy it when you're set. So drink. Luckily, this is not a big set. So be okay. <laughs> uh, Paul will not be bankrupt. That's but in, right. if we'd been on recording it on the on the 
the camera is you'd have been a poor man yeah that's right. Crew in. that's right um, yeah so i don't know i think what happens is when you listen most people when they're given option to choice we make bad decisions mm. it's a marketing thing you're 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 Business partner member in America said to me, "Limit their choices." He went, "Yeah, too much choice is a bad thing." And in marketing, and I think, generally speaking, when we have too much choice, we make poor decisions. Mm. You know, it's so funny. I, when I before I got married, I was always, um, you know, there's so many women out there, right? And you choose one if you want to get married and go. To, and I, it's just funny that I used to have. Uh, you know, what the hell am I going to say this? Just, just, uh, just, Paul's got that thing on his mind where he's wanting to say something, but he's thinking, how can I word this in a way that doesn't sound bad? Yeah, it just, it just basically when you, well, you don't even have to use women. Anytime you make a choice and then you wonder, oh, the things I didn't choose, but like, I'm so past that in my, in my, in my uh, marital life. Like I'm not, which is such a relief, you know? I think what, just in terms of choices, it, it, it's a it's a really it screws with the head to, to, to juggle around and I think guys who are single or dating or just getting in and have a certain mentality I can think of some friends of mine who who are constantly thinking yeah but what about the next one what about that's a classic thing about New York where it's so hard to settle down there's always a people are constantly upgrading in New York that's the complaint and just that <laughs> on that mindset like there's something better out there well shouldn't you though if you're not a complete crazy narcissist then work out what's important what's not i mean we we spoke about this loads but that's why it's an argument like i, I yeah I, I was telling someone recently that it is good to go with a reform not even reform just a, a guy that's been single for a long period of time and has dated a lot because he has a real clear understanding of what he wants long as he's not got that addictive personality where he needs it all the time mm. But if he's but if he's got good values as well, because then he's more likely to be faithful and mm-hmm. do the right thing. Um, but he's got a clearer perspective on what's 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 important. I think the the riskiest guys, the guys who get in a lot of trouble, or we've talked about this also, is they settle down early and the first girl, and then they mm. come and they start to be successful and they want to stretch their legs and sample. But um, the best thing I I have to say about my twenties and thirties is like. I think I think those type of guys, they think that that next girl is going to be any different or is going to be better or whatever, and um, they're they're totally suckered by the illusion that the next thing is going to yeah. be different or better. But everyone has people are people, and everyone has and um, that's maybe what Craig Ferguson knows. Yeah, that's why he doesn't have to jump down that. Yeah, yeah, because he knows that he's probably been there before in the past. I mean, listen, he don't get to, he's a good looking guy, and. You know, you don't get that level of vocal dexterity through, you know, sitting at home every night, not mm. talking to people. You know, I'm sure he's gone out there and, you know, raged for years. So therefore, he knows the upside and the downside to it. Mm-hmm. And he probably appreciates more his wife because of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because he realizes what she brings to his life that his, his um, single hedonistic lifestyle didn't bring. And it's so funny, young guys who don't have that perspective probably wonder, like, why? Oh my God! How can he be married with that and constantly interacting with all these hot girls who ostensibly want him? You know, but mm. he has that experience. All right, so I, I think that's burning boats as well is important. I think sometimes for certain guys, mm. I know that for myself. I'm going to go in something. I just got to go. All right, I'm just going to go for it. I'm almost going to trap myself mm. just because 
by leaving too many. Well, then have a baby. No, not not that much. <laughs> that's I'm not trapping myself that much. That's no, that's like, like like whoa! You just I've just got off. felt slightly sick for a second. Um, but you know what I mean, don't you? Just in your mind, not mm. going there and just going. I'm going to completely embrace this mm. because then otherwise you're not going to get the most of it. You kind of got one. Self, foot in, you know, one it's so foot funny. Out. I'm looking at my life. I, I juggled a lot of girls before I settled down and got married, and not. Now that that part of my life is singular, I like in my professional life, I'm kind of dating because I've got all these things, you know, going on. And I, I kind of feel I've got so much relief in my marriage once I chose a great woman and committed to her. I wonder if once I choose a great, great thing and commit to it, I'll probably have likewise relief in the because I am kind of dancing so you think with this. Is dating. No, these thing. different projects, I'm, I'm flirting with them. Mm. In other words, I'm sp- basically I'm spreading my I'm seeing several uh, our producer's looking very uncomfortable at the moment. He's I, just laughing in the I'm, background. I'm basically, on a different night of the week, I see a different commercial enterprise. And I don't tell oh, the commercial... cheating on you, by the way. Joey. And I don't tell the different commercial enterprises about each other. What yeah. if they meet in the street? So you're kind of... Um, I'm a two-timer. You're a, you're, you're, you're a bigamist. Well, not bigamist. What's the word when you have... Po- poly... No, uh, that's, that's polygamist? No, that's many partners. Yeah. What's it called when you marry two people? Polygamist. Yeah. Two people bigamist. 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 Okay. That's it. Multiple yeah. is poly. Multiple okay. is poly. Ah, good. That's the voice of God. The voice of God to, <laughs> uh, to clarify that. All right. Um, mm-hmm. That's good enough from us, I think, for this episode. Yeah. Unless you want to have a final statement on morality and business. I think I'm you hit it. Got, I'm you, got you any morals it. or businesses. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have either. I think I you should did be talking say it about right, morals though. and business. It's, it's, he, uh, he met in the middle. He kind of was passionate about the, the vision, but also was... A realistic businessman who knew that he had to watch costs. Look, to make such scale, there needs to be compromise in anything. You want to make a film? Oh, that's for interesting. A lot of to money, get scale, it's always compromise. There's compromise. When it's small, you can be idealistic. It's left compromise. Me making a short film, self-funded or with some mates, we don't have to compromise on anything. We make it exactly how we want. I'm raising money for a big film at the moment. There's going to be so much compromise. I'm aware it's happening at the moment. There's going to be compromise, compromise, compromise. And I guess you just got to learn where to. Pick your battles. What's core importance? And I guess also just you've got yeah you've got to really work out what's important for the brand for you. You know it's interesting that Steve Jobs got his products through with little compromise. Mm. And I mean that was why he's he? so celebrated relative for a big company. I mean I think he he, inc- he battled a- for years though, and he was he was nearly he was sent away from his own business and called back. That's why I always feel Steve Jobs isn't a great example for people, not because he's not a great man. I think a lot of people go, Steve Jobs did this. And I'm like, yeah, but perfectionists very rarely do well on large-scale business. No, that's, he's unusual. Yeah. And he's unusual. And I think he's very unique. And I think a lot of people I've seen sort of failed entrepreneurs that I've known in my 20s. I say failed, that sounds horrible. But they're, they've not quite made it yet, shall we say. But I don't really hang around with them anymore, probably because of that. Um, <laughs> but fucking, I only want to hang around with the people who know what they're doing. But um, they... Um, they quote Steve Jobs. When someone quotes Steve Jobs at me, I go, ah, they're going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> no, do seriously. No, it's when someone quotes some good. like industrialist or talks about like unknown people that were just quietly getting on with shit. Like that guy, you guys, you mentioned mm-hmm. much more credible source of inspiration. That's Steve Jobs has a lot of ego. There's a lot of everyone in the theater of Apple and, and he could screaming. he never been successful. Yeah, he's... Because a, he was unyielding. Yeah. He's so very, not, very, very unusual. If you, 
if you want to maximize your chance of success, you probably don't follow Steve Jobs' philosophy. But what's interesting is the market does appreciate, the end consumer does appreciate visionaries who are uncompromising if they can finally deliver their product. Like, that, there's an irony there because, because of his being so crazy and getting kicked out of Apple's board and all, in the end, he refused to compromise on the iPhone and, the, and these design elements. And because of that, people are evangelical about Apple. Actually, now, though, they're losing that, right? Is Apple now that I remember he said once that that there would never be a stylus like having a pen mm. is a terrible. It should be a one one unit thing. Mm. And now Apple iPads come with pens and stuff. I'm just wondering if if Apple, as it starts to blend and become a mediocre middle, if it loses everything it stands for because Tim Cook's not going to fight for that. Anyhow, it's a separate issue, but um, that's good enough. Uh, try to find some morality in your business, but you can you can do what you need to to be competitive. By the way, I'm not saying that Steve Jobs isn't an exceptional person. Obviously, he is. I'm saying he's not an exceptional example to... Yeah, you shouldn't... It's not, he's not a good example for people trying to make it. Yeah, it's sure. a very unique case, and I think... yeah, I, And I, that's what I was saying. I think nine times out of ten, if you are that unyielding, you'll fail. He's one of the examples who got through. Mm. But to, to think you're going to do that as a starting on is, a, I think, a terrible strategy. In fact, the, the people I've seen who've done pretty well as entrepreneurs, they're much more agnostic. They don't really care how it happens and their, their interest in putting it together. They just want to get the thing selling and stuff. So they're not as rich. They're absolutely not rigid. I remember Richard, I used to, when I, when I was, I used to, first guy I worked with years ago, um, he, uh, yeah, he, uh, Richard LaRena, he um, used to say there was all these guys that were like, oh, a product needs to be like a, a stool. It needs to have four legs. And it was like, this analogy that these like, um, sort of like Instagram business twats. You know, they're selling he, furniture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're like these people that go on Instagram and go, hashtag, look at me, yeah, yeah. You know, hashtag, hashtag. Well, they are, I mean, there's marketing and stuff and letting people know what you're up to, but then there's like these people that are just going constantly about their business and there's like millions of posts and it's like, I've not seen the product. I've just seen loads of posts about the product and they read all these books on business and stuff but actually don't actually do anything. Um, and one of the things that apparently people were quoting at the time was a book that said, and the whole premise was that a product needs four legs. I'm sure it's completely valid. And um, but I remember Richard turned around to me once. He was like, "Fuck that! It can have half a leg, and it can be hanging by a straw." He said, "For a small business, get it out there. Don't worry. Get some cash flow coming in, because cash flow is what kills businesses." And and he's just like, "If the product's got a leg and it's just dangling by one thread and it's hobbling, then." Just sell it. So that's Pete's endorsement of Richard's products. So <laughs> no, right. no, no, it's no, not. At the beginning, it's not, at the beginning he's refined was, his method. It was at the beginning when he used to film stuff on camera phones before everything got high tech. I mean, now his products are very, very polished and shiny. And we're talking like 14 products in. But I remember the early ones were sort of No, I take done. your point. We were the same way. With <laughs> it was just like, just get it out there. The key thing is the information, not all the vanity and the graphics mm. and, you know, high-rise shots and stuff. It was just the core information that your products were cool. displaying. All right, guys. Uh, we'll catch you very soon uh, with uh, another episode. Talk to you then. Bye.